I'm going to read the scripture we're at today, and we're going to pray about it, and we're going to dive into it. Today we're at Acts chapter 6, starting with verse 8, and through the end of chapter 6. Here's what it says, and I'm going to explain and give some context in the background in just a bit. Now Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from some members of the Freedman's Synagogue, composed of both Cyrenians and Alexandrians and some of, some of Cilicia and Asia. And they began to argue with Stephen. But they were unable to stand up against his wisdom and the spirit by whom he was speaking. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we heard him speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. They stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, so they came, seized him, and took him to the Sanhedrin. They also presented false witnesses who said, This man never stopped speaking against this holy place and the law. For we heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. And all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at him and saw his, that his face was like the face of an angel. Let's pray over the word that God's given us today before we begin. Father, today may your word jump off of these pages and speak to us in a way that maybe had never spoken before. Father, that find these gaps in our heart that need to be filled. Father, may we see application, not just learning and knowledge, but Father, help us to take it to the next level, to give us the do attitude, to follow up with the words that we know so we can have follow through and application in our lives as you would us. Father, above all things, may you speak through me so that the truth above all comes out. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. We've been on a journey uh, for the past several months in the book of Acts. In the book of uh, of Acts, and we're looking at the scripture and letting it speak to us. There are um, different types of sermon approaches, right? Sometimes they're topical, where a pastor will come up and he will give a topic, a general theme of, of something like salvation, right? Which is very broad, but then fit scripture into it as he would like it fit so that the word comes across clearly, and that's good and works well. But then there's another type that is more driven in the scripture and letting the scripture speak for itself, and that's called expositional preaching. And it essentially means to expose what the scripture has. And that's taking this, this option of the topic and letting the scriptures fill in and flipping it upside down and taking the scripture, right? and finding the topics that God has from us from the core scripture. And we've taken that approach over the past few years with different books of the Bible. And uh, we just finished James uh, several months ago and we've gone into Acts. And Acts is um, more of the church, the start of the church, and the church getting set on fire and growing and expanding into the world. It's the, it fills in the gap between the Gospels of where Jesus walked the earth, Jesus was born, Jesus performed amazing miracles, Jesus did these amazing things, he was, he was killed, crucified on the cross, 
buried, resurrected, and ascended into heaven. That story that we all know about Jesus, right? And then the, all the letters that come after that, there's this gap in the middle from the letters that come from the apostles, right? Like 1st and 2nd Corinthians and 1st and 2nd Peter and Romans and all that good stuff. All those are letters, but there's a gap in the middle. Like, who are those letters from and who really are those people? that are writing those letters, the authors of the letters that were divinely inspired to write those, those books in our Bible. Well, Acts fills in all that. Acts tells the story, okay? It tells the story of the advancement of the gospel and all those apostles that Jesus selected, those 12, how they expanded into thousands and thousands, and thousands of what they did and how they did it. And it all sounds great, but a general theme throughout Acts is that these apostles were acting as God would tell them to do, but man, they were facing persecution. They were not just, don't do that. We just saw a couple weeks ago that they were flogged, right? The men were flogged, they were taken, and they were whipped in such an extent for talking about Jesus that they left with literally no flesh on their back, exposed flesh, all the skin was ripped off from the flogging, that they had received, but when they left and they got back to their people, remember they were rejoicing that they can go back and look at the testimony they can share that God pulled in through that. So now we've been at this scene where um, the church is, is up and going, right? The church is, is growing and we've got thousands of people in the church now. These apostles are doing their job to the point where they are sharing Jesus with so many people that the church is getting, is growing and growing and growing. And now needs are arising. So many needs are arising that they can't be met and it's unintentionally not being met. But then people get upset. You're helping these people out, but you ain't helping my people out. So the flesh gets the best of it. Just like in our world today, just like in any small church, large church, or the church universal, right? But the different portions of the churches, people feel left out because you're giving these people more attention, you're doing this more attention, and the leaders get fingers pointed at them. And a lot of people will think it's intentional and things like that, and we can look back and think on things like that. But in this scene, there were two different types of Christians, right? I'll try to give a little bit of a, a, a history type lesson in this. There were two different types. They were, there were the Hellenists and the, the Hebraic, the Hebrews, right? One of them were the Greek-speaking Jews, from, or excuse me, Greek-speaking Christians that weren't from where Judea was, Jerusalem and all that holy area, holy land. They were from the outside areas mostly generally speaking, and then the Hebraic, or the ones that were, the Jews that were converted to Christianity. These were like the Greek-speaking ones, and these were the Hebrew-speaking ones. These were the traditional ones, okay? The, um, the Hebraic, the Hebrew ones, they were, they were the traditional ones. The old school's the best method, the way we've always done it, it's good stuff, and they like that, and these other ones were more modernistic approach for the time, and obviously they kind of butted heads often. But still yet, they were together, and they were worshiping together. But Satan likes to divide from within, okay? The most damaging of impacts that you can have in your life 
are when Satan pries his way into your relationships, Satan pries his way into your family, Satan pries his way into your church family. It's always the attacks from the inside that do the most damage than the attacks from the outside. You feel me, right? The attacks from the inside do damage. Do, I mean, severe damage. Well, Satan saw that, and he saw that the church was growing, so he took this opportunity to say, okay, I'm going to create this hedge, and I'm going to, I'm going to put it in the hearts of the, the Hellenist Jews, right, that they think that the apostles are intentionally leaving them out because the widows were not getting uh, the portion of the food. They weren't getting fed, essentially. The church had a ministry going that they were going out and giving grain, giving food to the people in the church that needed it. And the ones that needed it most back then were widows because of that time and that culture, the women couldn't support themselves, right? Or didn't, they weren't allowed essentially to, to, to work. And if their husband had died or it, and their family, their immediate family wasn't there to support them in any way for food and, and shelter, well then oftentimes they literally starved to death. So the church stepped in to help those out. And that's why widows are brought up so often in our scripture, because in this culture, in this time, it was a real severe problem that people died of. So the Hellenists, their widows weren't getting the same amount of grain and weren't getting fed the same way that the Hebraic ones were, okay? So these two different cultures within the church, both Christians, both believed in Jesus, these were feeling left out. It wasn't intentional, but they Satan drove it in their hearts as they're intentionally leaving them out. So they brought it up to the church. I can't believe this is happening. You've got to do something about this. Well, instead of the church crumbling at that, it's like, oh, we don't have enough manpower. Well, I mean, you know, we don't have enough people to, to, to oversee that and to meet these needs. They took an obstacle. Remember from last week? They took an obstacle like this that Satan threw at the church and turned it into an opportunity to glorify God. And what they did is they found, they told them, okay, the apostles, the leaders within the church need to focus on praying and preaching and teaching of the word. That's their core purpose is to deliver what the Bible says to the people, what the gospel is to the people. This has to happen. And if these other things are coming to distract, which was one of Satan's intent, was to divide and to distract the apostles from teaching the word, if, if they had to do all those things to ensure that everyone got the equal amount and everyone feels equal and no one's feelings are hurt, right? Then their focus is not fully on the preaching, teaching, and delivery of God's word. And, and Satan saw an opportunity to hit that, but they saw, no, here's what we're going to do. We want you to choose from among you seven men, and what they did, ultimately, they chose these people, which, which uh, interestingly enough, were seven Greek, or from the Hellenist, seven Greek men that would oversee and ultimately be deacons, as, you, as we have in the, in the church here, and that's where this ultimately can be traced back to. The foundation of deacons is these men and these people would be the ones that would oversee the needs of the church, that ultimately would be the hands and feet of the church to ensure these things are happening, to find a need within the church and to provide service to meet that need so that the, um, 
essentially the leaders in the church, the ones that are responsible to teach the word, aren't distracted and focused away from that, right? So in ultimately doing that, the church not only got stronger, but it expanded its reach by creating leaders within the church and branched out more and more leaders so that the reach of the church is not just here, but now for more and more leaders, it's here. And God took that obstacle and turned it into an opportunity for the church to grow, to expand. And they could have responded another way. Say, sorry about your luck. We only have this much manpower. I don't know what else to tell you. We got this job to do, and this is most important. But they turned it into an opportunity to grow the church. And of those seven men, one of them were named, was named Stephen. One of them was named Stephen. And that's where we're getting to today. And that's kind of the transition from all, in Acts so far, we've seen the apostles always being brought up. The apostles, right? Peter and John, and then the apostles. They were always the ones that were doing these miraculous signs and wonders and doing the work of the church. And now it's transitioning from these apostles to just random, not just nobodies, okay, in the church, normal Christian folk. The members of the church becoming the hands and feet and God using just uh, not just leaders in the church, but the people of the church become the ones doing the work. Right. You remember in, in the Gospels when Jesus was providing the or speaking to the, uh, the his disciples saying, look, believe in me in the spirit. If you have the spirit within you, you will do even more amazing signs and wonders than me. Jesus told what? We can do things far greater than Jesus? That's from his mouth. If we believe and the Spirit is within us, we can do signs and wonders far greater than even Jesus. And this ultimately, I wouldn't say greater, this, this ultimately is an example of the Spirit moving within just a random guy. You hear nothing of this Stephen guy up until this point, right? But he becomes a name that for thousands of years, we will always talk about Stephen, Stephen. This is who we're at today, facing the opposition of the world, a person just like us doing amazing things. So Stephen is chosen. He's one of the overseers of the food. He's going out and literally serving tables is what the scripture says, right? Serving the needs in the church and giving food to people. And upon doing that, he's just not giving food and say, all right, there you go, see you later. But he's teaching the gospel. He's sharing the life-changing message of Jesus. He's living out, speaking out the gospel truth while he's doing the servant, feeling the need that he sees within the church. So in this, look, what, look who Stephen is. Look what it first says in verse 8. It says, now Stephen, who we just referenced a moment ago, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Wait, I thought you just said that Stephen was serving tables. Man, if serving tables is great wonder and sign, honey, I have got this under control, right? What? No. Stephen was full of grace and power and performing great wonders and signs among the people. He wasn't just serving he wasn't just meeting the need. But because the Spirit filled him so much, the Spirit moved him. God used him in such a way that miracles and wonders were, behaving, were going, working through him. 
His prayers were so powerful that lives were changing. He was so obedient to the needs of the Spirit, for the direction and the will of the Spirit, that amazing things were happening. This normal guy who was selected to come up as a normal member, a normal person that was attending church, and rose up to be someone that God used through his Spirit to do amazing signs and wonders. And people took notice. People took notice. They wanted to see whenever something amazing happens, just like when Jesus was doing his signs and wonders, crowds came, right? Everybody wanted to see it, not because they were, you know, want to see the power of God at work, sure, but they also wanted to see the cool thing that everybody's talking about, right? What? This is happening? I'm going to go and see this scene for myself with my own eyes. And this is essentially what's happening. The word starts going around. Here's another one of these Jesus followers going out there. I don't even know who this guy is. He's not one of the apostles. They say his name's Stephen. I don't know, but he's going out there and everybody's raising a fuss about him because he's doing these amazing things. Hmm. Everybody's talking. Well, when everybody talks, oftentimes the wrong people hear it. Or maybe the right people. They hear it. The leaders, religious leaders, come. And are upset because this uprising, the power shift continues to happen from these Jewish religious leaders that have all the power right at the top of the old school um, Jewish setup, right? Hierarchy there. All these Sanhedrin, the Pharisees and Sadducees, all these people that are the rulers, political leaders, but also the religious leaders. They're having this power shift from them to all these nobodies. Who do they think they are? The Christian followers or the Christians, the Jesus followers. And it's all giving, uh, uh, giving the, the focus to them. And remember, with great attention to God, great opposition rises. Let me say that again. With great attention to God in your life, in the things you say, in the actions you perform, in, in the choices you make, if they are based in Christ, and it's because of Christ and not your own glory, Great opposition rises, and we see evidence of this throughout all of Acts, and especially in this moment here. So, verse 9 says it. Opposition arose. Opposition arose, however, from some members of the freedmen's synagogue, which were the Hellenistic portion, right? But the, the religious portion of those, those Greek-speaking religious leaders, the freedmen's synagogue, composed of the Cyrenians, the Alexandrians, and some of the Cilicia and Asia, and they began to argue with Stephen. So they were mad. Who is this guy? We're the religious leaders. We know more, right? Remember the Pharisees, these, that, that name Pharisee? These are just the ones that were um, the political leaders, religious leaders, but they were raised up, essentially taught from day one when they were able to, to understand the language were taught the first five books of the Old Testament. And they could, it's said that they could mostly recite those five books word for word. They knew it that much. They knew the word of God better than anybody. And who is this man thinking he is getting up here and getting all the attention off of us? We're going to come to him and we're going to let him hear what we have to say. So they decide to argue. They decide to argue with Stephen thinking, hey, we're far more capable of winning an argument from this nobody. But, in verse 10 says, they were unable to stand up against his wisdom. 
and the spirit by whom he was speaking. They were shocked. What? How can we stand up to him? When they realized they couldn't argue with his logic, right? When they realized they couldn't argue with his logic and through the reasoning because the spirit filled him so much. He was so obedient and he was so committed to Jesus and to this gospel truth. They couldn't stand up to him. You ever been in an argument? Well, we all been. Have you ever been in an argument where you're just arguing a simple topic, right? A simple debate. Nothing major, right? I feel this way. This is, let's just say this. My favorite band is this. And your favorite artist is this, right? Give me an example, somebody. Kander, who's your favorite artist? No. They ain't even, they, they nobody. I think Chris Tomlin's way better than Mercy Me. All right? So I think that. Tell me why Mercy Me is better than Chris Tomlin. They've got good music. Well, Chris Tomlin has more number one Christian hits than anyone. So why is Mercy Me better? Mercy Me has a film made after them. Well, you don't know anything about music. What are you talking about? (laughs) Who do you think you are arguing with me about music? You see how this conversation is going, right? We were just simply debating bands, but it turned into me criticizing her, saying she don't know nothing about music. I know more about you in any way, right? It turns into a personal attack. Y'all ever had an argument turn into a personal attack? Yeah, all the time, right? It happens easily because whenever you get into a point where you're losing an argument or vice versa, the only way to go is to attack that person's credibility. Watch a political debate. That's all they do. I, don't even, I can't watch that stuff anymore, right? Because it's, just, it's not even the topics anymore. It's just, it's just personal attacks. And that's what happens. We attack people's credibility. Well, that essentially is what happens in this scene right here. This friendly debate, well, between Canner and I turned into personal attacks. They didn't like what they had to hear. So not only did they attack him verbally, they're about to make it happen where he just get, goes away. Like literally, they want to kill him. So what's the best way to kill somebody to make somebody die or go away in this time? What better way to do it than to have someone else do it for you, to have the law do it for you, to set this person up where they are rightfully put to death. So they approached the capital punishment approach by hiring people to lie for them. And that's what they do. They were defeated in their friendly debate, or their debate, their argument, and they attack him. Here's what it says in verse 11. Then they secretly persuaded, or hired, persuaded some men to say, here's what they hired them to say, we heard him speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. Well, if you, if, you, if you know anything about Jewish law, you'll know that blasphemy, speaking against God, is a punishment worthy of death. It's capital punishment. You'll face that. So blasphemy was their um, approach that if two or three witnesses said that, then that's good enough. 
Even if they're lying, it doesn't matter, right? They don't think that. There ain't nobody lie. Their word was as good as gold. So they said they hired two or three people to do just that. So they made that accusation that blasphemy was happening. The accusation of saying that Jesus was going to destroy the temple in three days or destroy the temple. They said that in scripture. And maybe they had a, a twist on words saying that um, Jesus says, destroy this temple and in three days I will build it. And maybe Stephen was teaching of that. And remember when Jesus said, destroy this temple, Jesus is talking about his body. And when you destroy his body, right, he knew that in three days he's going to rise again. And maybe that is what they were saying there. And then the third accusation was that he taught that Jesus was going to change the customs that Moses handed down. And we see that in the scripture. And yeah, righteousness does not come by checking the boxes and being obedient. Right? Being right with God is not by just doing the right things. Being right with God is by the blood of Jesus Christ. By accepting, committing our life to Christ. And that's what he was teaching. He was teaching the truth of the gospel. So this stirred up the people. They stirred them up in verse 12. They stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes. And so they came and they seized him. They seized Stephen and took him to the Sanhedrin. They stirred up the people, right? Whenever things settled, like it, for all you cooks out there, if you're, never mind, I don't, I'm not good at that type of analogy. I'm not a cook. Anyway, you stir it up to mix things up, right? Because when you mix things up, it shifts everything around and it aggravates everything within the mix, right? And that's what they want to do. And that's the literal, literal stir Greek translation is that, is to shake things up. They wanted to shake it up because they were upset. So they did that. They shook up the people, the elders, and the scribes. So they came and seized him and took him to the Sanhedrin, or the leaders of the Jews, right? right? So they also presented false witnesses. Not only did they hired these liars, right? They presented false witnesses that have said, this man never sp stopped speaking against this holy place and the law. For we heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses handed down to us, the reference. And all, look at this, this last portion here, okay? All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at him and saw that his face was like the face of an angel. I want you to think of this. So this man was arrested and he's brought to the Sanhedrin. This scene, this scene that we're seeing here, the Sanhedrin is like 70 men of the greatest authority in the land, right? And they're surrounded him by a semicircle. And here you stand, surrounded by these. Now, they're not on the same level. They're elevated. So you have to look up at them, right? And there are like 70 men around them. And these are all the ones that are essentially pointing fingers and the ones that are going to find you guilty and determine your fate, literally your fate. They're going to determine that. Well, ultimately, with any of us, we're going to be intimidated. Oh, goodness, what's happening here, right? Scared to death, but not Stephen. So full of the Spirit that Scripture says he had the face of an angel. It's, it was like this divine light shining down upon him. He was... He was so full of the Spirit that he was, it was shining through him. They were able to see that as they intently, they were uh, intentionally and um, purposefully staring right at him and looking at him. 
And instead of seeing this intimidated person, they're seeing this man so full of the Spirit. Jesus is working in Stephen so much, in this man so much, this nobody working in him and can work in us so much that it literally changed what he looked like. It changed his features. But wait, what? You can't change what you look like just by what you believe in, right? Just by what, just by what you've committed yourself to. You can't change what you look like. Anybody ever seen them before and after pictures of weight loss thing, medicine you can take? Right? No. I mean, it goes from this to this. In a matter of six days, right? Y'all don't look at my overweight self right now. I've been looking at a lot of those lately, by the way. I've been trying to do that. Anyway, um, or the, the workout stuff, man. You, can, you see those, those pictures of the, you know, here, here's this, you know, 93-year-old guy that has the body of a 20-year-old man like this, right? Y'all seen those? You know that's Photoshop. It's like the worst Photoshop ever. But that's what they put on there, and they show you before and after what they look like. Why do they look different? Because they've committed to healthy lifestyles. That's what they want to do there, right? You show somebody that's lost a lot of weight, they've made a commitment in their life, and they look different. Maybe that's a little on the extreme end, but think about the fruits of the Spirit. Have you ever looked at somebody and like, something's just different about them. Something just looks different, they're just acting different. Something's not right, or something's different, right? What's different about you? The fruits of the Spirit. You, ever, you remember the fruits of the Spirit are love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those fruits of the Spirit, whenever you have those, you are filled with those fruits, you're acting differently. Your facial expressions change and who you are changes because your commitment level is on a different level to who you are versus who he wants you to be because the fruits come out of you. Whenever you're filled with the Spirit, those fruits or the evidence of the Spirit are just those. Love. When somebody is such a loving person, they are all about who you are and not self-focus. Patience. You ever met an impatient person? Yeah, imagine them the next day being the most patient person you know. Like, what is wrong with you, right? That is evidence. And when you are so consumed by the Spirit, it changes who you are and what you look like. Once you commit your life to Christ, you have this before and after. There's the old life and there's the brand new life. The old is gone and who you are now looks completely different. As uh, Brock and Ian come up to lead us in our closing worship, I want you to, to realize that God took this person, Stephen. We don't know who he was. Essentially a nobody he was. But because he was so obedient, because he loved Jesus so much, it changed him to such a level that he reflected Jesus. That as we're going to find in the coming scripture, that he becomes so willing and so loving of Jesus Christ and committed to sharing the gospel with people that he gives his life. He becomes the first martyr, the first person to die for what they believe in. You become radically different. The gospel changes you radically. It is a night and day difference. 
And yet you have the people that remember who you were that are on this world. It's like, I know who you were. I know who you were before. I know the things you've done before. You can't fool me. And the responsibility should be is like, I'm not here to fool you. My life is brand new through Christ. I'm no longer living for you and to make you accepting me and all the things that you want me to be. But it's all about who I am through the blood of Jesus. The gospel changes us. And when the gospel changes us, we can see the difference. And we can ask ourselves today, do we see that difference? But it starts with one thing. It starts with commitment. Commitment to change. That I'm no longer living for this world. But there's this truth of the gospel. That I'm forever separated from God. Forever separated from God. Without the blood of Jesus. But God loved us too much. We are his greatest creation. We are his masterpieces. And God would never leave us separated from him. But we sinned against him. And God can't have sin ever in his presence. Ever. Because God is perfect and all good. And if any sin would be around him, it would be destroyed. So something had to give. A price had to be paid. We owed this wage. We had this bill that we could never pay. Never pay. And we, we were headed to hell without it. But God loved us too much to leave it that way. And this payment had to be paid. And there was only one thing in this world that could be valuable enough to ever pay that bill. And that's himself in the flesh. His own son. He gave his own son to die for us. And if we not just die for us. He gave his own son to come, to live a perfect life, to die a death he didn't deserve, to have this pain inflicted on him that all of our sins would fall upon his body. All of our sins would fall upon his body. So he took it all. Not just the physical pain, the emotional grief of all of our sins and our denials that we would have of him took him on his body. And that payment was made when he took his last breath on the cross. And if we say, that's not enough, that's, we're fooling ourselves. God gave his only son to die for us. That if we believe, if we believe that that is true, but we also commit our lives not just to call Jesus our king. God, you're the king, you're our savior, you did die. Jesus, you died for us. It's more than calling him savior. We have to call him Lord. We have to see him as our king. And we have to be obedient and servants of him and looking up and everything we're doing so he can give it right back to us, the, our direction, our lifestyle, and our commitment. We're not focused here. We're now focused here and looking heavenward. Once we live that life and we commit it in our hearts to follow him, it changes. We can go from this person that nobody, that everybody thinks we were to this brand new person in Christ because if we believe the Spirit lives within us, we are now filled with the Holy Spirit and the fruits are the evidence of just that. So today, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior and you've struggled and you've slipped and you've over and over again, just, just can't get right, it's, it's okay. Because there's this amazing word called grace and it's a grace that never ends. And your sins can be and will be 
forgiven through his blood. Because Jesus is enough. All you have to do is bring it before him. To lay your sins at his feet. Ask for forgiveness. And, to be, and you are called sons and daughters. And you will be forgiven. So today as we worship together.